And welcome to Island Ice, episode three of Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday. Very, very excited. A lot of stuff to get to today. And I'm, I'm thrilled to be joined in studio by my Newsday teammate. We just sat through the Islanders' thrilling and somewhat improbable 3-2 overtime comeback win against the uh, St. Louis Blues at Nassau Coliseum. Neil Best was there. Neil Best is here now. Neil, welcome. Thank you for having me. Nothing beats an exciting late finish uh, in an afternoon game. Yes. <laughs> we we love exciting overtime finishes when they're played in the afternoon. Yeah. Before I get to anything, how's the uh, hot chocolate over there? Uh, had a little mishap at the new Newsday hot chocolate machine. I was not informed that a cup is required as part of the process. I thought maybe the cup drops down, like at the Islanders practice facility, where the cup comes with the coffee. Yeah. But no, as it turns out, with my boss watching, I had um, hot chocolate <laughs> everywhere. But then I tried again the second time. It well, well, well that, that was the key, the boss having the to boss, show you. The boss how was to... standing there while the hot chocolate was spilling all over the new, brand new, gorgeous, clean cafeteria in the new Newsday building, which is very nice, by the way. But it's less nice now than it was 10 minutes ago. That's okay. <laughs> Neil Best, everyone. <laughs> anyway, um, so like I said, 3-2 victory in overtime to get today against the uh, St. Louis Blues. That brings the Islanders' record to 3-3-0. Two wins in a row going into a two-game road trip that opens up Thursday night in Ottawa, in, in Ottawa. No, in Winnipeg. I knew it was some Canadian city. Yeah, we're going to... Uh, Winnipeg, and then the Islanders finish that short road trip as they do play 12 of 17 to start the season at home. Uh, they go to Columbus against John Tortorella's Blue Jackets on Saturday. Be a very tr- pretty pretty tough trip. Uh, they've already beaten the Jets 4-1. This will be a little bit different. Uh, I, th- I think the Jets will have their defense a little bit more settled, um, even if, uh, you know, not – not the personnel they're hoping to get back, at least a little more experience in, in, in playing games with the group they, they've got. Jets are always a big team, well-coached by Paul Maurice. Uh, the Blue Jackets, even though they've lost Sergei Bobrovsky, they've lost Artemi Panarin, uh, Dezingle's gone, they're, they're still doing pretty good uh this season it's always a tough trip going into columbus and sports writers from every other city but columbus hate going in there because that darn cannon that blows your ear off it's (laughs) i've heard that cannon oh it's just just the worst but before we get to the week ahead let me let me just ask neil um what what were your impressions? You've you've now seen two Islander games. You saw you sat with me for the season opener, a three two loss to the Capitals, and now fast forward a couple of weeks and you see a three two overtime win against the Blues. You know, one thing I was thinking during Monday's game before it changed all of a sudden in the last five minutes was maybe this thing about having all the same guys back is not all it's cracked up to be because one you know, we all everyone knew one of the downsides is you know, I don't know if staleness is the right word, but, but you know, some sort of complacency because if you're standing still, you're falling behind in hockey as in life. Um, <laughs> and, but the, the flip side of that was the kind of comeback they had and that kind of, uh, you know, familiarity with each other and they've been through the wars with each other. You know, that showed the positive side of ever, having everybody back, to what they did to tie that game and then win it overtime. So 
it's mostly a pro, but there are some con potential cons to it. But really, yeah, if you're an Islanders fan, and again, me just watching that game, it's like, wow, what I thought was going to be a uh-oh kind of a thing was was more like a, oh, okay, maybe they'll be fine as long as they can get enough scoring. Obviously, that's going to be an ongoing storyline. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I I was writing a quick, you know, running game story and at one point I, I had the fact in that they've only scored more than two goals a season once and now of course it's twice but yeah I was thinking the same thing that that scoring is really an issue you know and, and the fact that their defensive structure was a little bit lacking you know heading into this weekend it, it really highlighted the fact that if they're not going to defend well their their lack of scoring is is going to be even more glaring but you know, uh, you know Barry Trotz. Even though they lose five two in Carolina on Friday night, the whole team sort of felt like that was a, a jumping off point that they had kind of gotten back. You know, the, the Hurricanes are just really good, and that that's what we're seeing. You know, sort of like the playoffs right now. They're just a better team. They're a faster skating team. They 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 have more scoring potential. But the, the Islanders liked a lot of what they did in that game. And then they come back and they have a 3-2 shootout win over the Panthers where they really felt like they built on something. And, and today I think they felt like they, they took another step. Yeah, and, you know, we'll see what becomes of Oliver Wallstrom. He had a very encouraging debut today, a 19-year-old kid who completely looked like he belongs in the NHL. What he'll become, we obviously don't know yet. But he's the kind of guy who could become a big scorer. But to see Barzell, you know, who I've had some issues with his <laughs> style in the past and with him personally. But no, but he obviously the guy's an exciting, talented player. But then when you see what he can do, uh, when you, you know, especially in overtime with all that open ice, uh, there's no question that he, if he has the right people to pass to, he can, he can make, play a huge part in solving these offensive, uh, you know, concerns. But he needs to have the right people with him. And, you know, maybe Oliver Wallstrom will be the kind of guy who can give him that. You know, it was funny as I'm trying to plan out this episode in my brain. I know sometimes I get accused of being maybe being a little bit overly positive when the situation does not call for positivity. So I was thinking really, you know, especially, you know, after that Carolina game, even though we just talked about the positives they built on, you know, it was still a 5-2 loss, and that left them at 1-3-0. and uh, You know, they had the defending Stanley Cup champions coming in. <laughs> you know, I was thinking, you know what, episode three might be the negative episode. You know, and then you saw some things in the 3-2 shootout win. I'm like, well, maybe it'll be the half-and-half half positive and negative episode. And then I'm watching the first fifty more, 54 minutes of this game against the Blues, and there was just a, a lot of the time there was nothing going on. Everything was to the outside, nothing nothing being generated in the slot. And I was back to this being the negative episode. And, and of course, uh, uh, Brock Nelson, you know, just – and he told me after the game the ice was just so bad at the, at the Coliseum. The, the puck's on edge. I asked him if he picked a spot. He sort of laughed. He said, no, you know what? I just I, – I was afraid of kind of stopping and trying to set something up. I had blown a couple of chances before because of the choppy ice. He just took a swipe and it goes in. And that just energized the whole team. And they really took off from there. And you, you brought up Matthew Barzell. And, man, what a what a 
fantastic third period he had yep. and what a fantastic overtime he had. And really, he's he's been probably the Islanders' most consistent best player through these first six games, which I think is what everyone expects of him. But when, when he's got the puck on his sticks, and certainly in these like situations, six on five, three on three, where there's a lot of ice or, you know, he can set up it to his advantage. He's magic with the puck on his stick. Yeah, and he's yeah, he's obviously fun to watch. But you know, once he you know channels that in the right direction, yeah, it's great. And it's but you know, if you're if you're a point guard with no scorer to pass to, you're not a, you can't. There's only so much you can do. Same thing with him, uh, because he's you know primarily going to be an assist guy for his whole life. That's his style. And uh, today it obviously worked. Um, yeah, the ice thing is strange because obviously the narrative has been that the Barclays ice is the problem and not the Coliseum. So I I don't know what was going on there. You know, let's get out to Belmont and see if we, as they're laying down whatever surface they're putting in there and make sure it's done correctly because this is sort of getting to be an old story. Well, what some of the players in the NHL tell me is they, it's sort of become white noise to them because – they feel like every building in the NHL, even some of these, you know, Canadian cities where you expect where it's freezing, you know, at the end of October, you know, going to Winnipeg, there's a ton of snow on the ground. Can't wait. You know, uh, I, I want it on the record that I volunteered to do yes, this trip yeah, for you yeah. because I've never been to Manitoba in my life. But you promised me next year I get to go to Winnipeg. You, you get to go to every hockey writer's number one thing they look forward to during the year is the trip to Winnipeg. Yeah. So I appreciate you next year giving. Well, it up to I me. I needed you in reserve for the Ottawa trip, which <laughs> which I am bailing on. Okay, well no, that's fine. No, I, I'm I'm looking forward to my first visit to Ottawa, but next year I'm going to Winnipeg. Yes. Oh, fine, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Um, uh, well, well, so um, going to Winnipeg, uh, snow on the ground. Um, you, you brought up Oliver Wallstrom. Now, uh, you know, he gets called up uh, earlier on Monday before the game. I mean, he found out Sunday, obviously. Um, the team announces the move on Monday. Casey Sezikis, who missed his third game, is out with a lower body injury. He uh, – he has a, a walking boot on his left foot. Um, Jordan Eberle exited late in the third period on Saturday. So the Islanders are missing two regular forwards, and they dip down to uh, the AHL and bring Oliver Wallstrom up from uh, the Sound Tigers. And you know what? I, I talked about Matthew Barzell you know, being the Islanders' most consistent player through these first six games, or at least their most dangerous player. And you talk about a point guard needing a scorer. I think it's only a matter of time before these two are going to be line mates, especially if Jordan Eberle is going to miss more time. Mm -hmm. uh, today you had Matthew Barzell. Tom Kuhnhackel was on Barzell's right. Anders Lee in his usual spot on the left. And Wallstrom is skating with Derek Broussard and Josh Bailey. But, but, but with – but with 207 left in a game, down a goal. Yeah, it, yeah. it was it was Lee Barzell and Wallstrom. Yeah. So, you know, I assume we might see more of that. I guess because Barry Trotz was clearly impressed with Wallstrom, and I was too. I mean, the guy just looked. It wasn't like he. I mean, he, he's not as obviously polished a, a figure as Barzell is, who basically, like you said, took over the game. However, for a 19-year-old in his first game, yeah. he, he just looked like he belongs, period. Now, that we don't know where it's going to go, 
But he, yeah, and he's big, and he's, you know, a couple of times he had scoring chances and then missed the shot, but then just, you know, took someone into the boards just for the hell of it. But, but, Am but I allowed to say that word on our podcast? Boards? Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> okay, anyway, yes, it was a very, very encouraging debut, but obviously there have been you know, many players who haven't gone anywhere after encouraging debuts. We'll see, but it was a, you know, it was a good start. And what, what really impressed me, and you talk about the scoring opportunities, I'm thinking there was a, uh, I believe it was a play in the second period where he cuts across from the right corner, muscles his way to the crease, backhander. The backhander wasn't on target at mm. all, but I, I think he was more energized by creating the chance than he was deflated by not converting there. Because he, he, his game, his energy level was consistent through the whole game. There were no ebbs and flows like you sometimes see with rookies. He really moved his feet well. Mm-hmm. He was not. I mean, you didn't notice the fact that it was his first game defensively. I, I thought he played right. okay there, mm-hmm. and that's not you know what he's strictly known for. So I, I thought it was a a very encouraging debut. And and as we spoke about, I, I talked to him in Bridgeport before uh, the Sound Tigers season started, and and you know he told me he goes you know if I work hard, I, I'm very confident I'm going to be up in the NHL. And the the Islanders and Barry Trotz talked about this before the game. They see him as a top six forward. That's where he's going to be. Another thing that I selfishly like about him, as opposed, to, in addition to his uh, game, is that he's an engaging personality. He's you know he's an interesting quote. He's which you know is what I selfishly care about as much as the hockey part. <laughs> but he was just you know it was really he's the kind of kid who uh, obviously. You know, if he sticks around a long time and his game develops, where he could be one of the faces of the team because he's he's just got uh, he's got charisma uh, that you can see even at this young age. So when the guy's 25 years old, yeah, he could he could he could be one of the one of the leaders of the team. I think. Yeah, no, 11th overall pick in 2018, and you know he had a goal and two assists, and he was clearly one of the Sound Tigers' best forwards and, and a really promising start. Now you talk to him after the game. Kind of go over a little bit about what he was talking about. Well, he was just uh, mostly he was incredibly excited and uh, just was so happy that they won so that he could sort of uh, enjoy the moment because if they had lost, it would have been more awkward for him to talk about how excited he was. But he had come back from a uh, the Sound Tigers played in Charlotte on Saturday night, get back at seven in the morning. He takes a nap, then gets a call from the Islanders, and he said he was driving way too fast just to get down to Long Island because he was so excited and. His father uh, flew up at a 5 a.m. flight from Georgia just to be at the game, and he talked about how he was helping him pick out his tie, and that you know Oliver was getting emotional during this, you know, t- dressing episode, and his and but he you know he left the room because he didn't want his father to start tearing up. So uh, again, he you know any well he also talked about you know the traditional coming out alone for warm-ups and uh, skating alone for a couple of laps and. Uh, now he's like, I didn't know. It was very cool, but I don't know if I'm, it was, was I was supposed to skate fast. Was I supposed to skate slow? Um, but so, again, it was just kind of a, yeah, it was fun to talk to a 19-year-old kid who's who's just reveling in this moment. And although, as he pointed out multiple times, he was really glad they won so that he could revel in the moment more fully. <laughs> now, now, you had your iPhone in for this scrum, so now we're going we're gonna, to – take you live via tape to uh, Neil Best and uh, some other media reporters uh, standing around Oliver Wallstrom in the Islanders dressing room following the 3-2 overtime win. 
You know, it's a dream come true. Um, really, really special moment, you know, for my family too. And it was just an unbelievable win. I'm so glad we got the win and, uh, you know, just build off it and keep learning. So. What can you share about the, the news that you were going to be coming off uh, that, and that you were going to be playing this afternoon? Yeah, we uh, got back from Charlotte like 7 a.m. and went back, took a nap, got a call. And, you know, it's pretty humbling to, you know, get that first call and come up and, you know, prepare for this game. So it was an un unbelievable win and, uh, you know, I was really fortunate to have this opportunity. The first couple of shifts for you were noticeable. I mean, you were one of the guys on the ice that uh, our play-by-play -play guys were commenting on and a part of the game that wasn't exactly going the team's way. How much of that was the adrenaline for you and how much is you just wanting to showcase that that's the kind of player you can be night in and night out? Yeah, I think uh, I was a little jacked up, you know, first NHL game. I was... Uh, really special, you know, just trying to play my game, play simple, you know, I know uh, my shots there, I know I can create chances, but for me at this level, early on, just, you know, play simple, have fun, enjoy the moment, and, you know, that was uh, unbelievable and fun to be a part of. Any conversation from any of your teammates, the coaching staff heading into this one for you? Yeah, I think the big, biggest thing is just enjoy it, enjoy the moment, and try not to think too much, just go out and, you know, play your game, but... Like I said, it was an unbelievable experience. It's something I'll never forget. Did you feel, as jacked up as you were, did you feel right away like, okay, I kind of belong and this seems, you know, nat natural and yeah, you can think, handle uh, this kind of stuff? Yeah, I felt uh, felt pretty good, you know, right before my first shift, I was eating me. Uh, it was a little more time than you think, and that first chance I had, he was right. There's a little more time. Uh, you know, do you have better gaps here? So that's something I can learn and quicker plays. But all in all, I thought it was really good. It was awesome to win and uh, celebrate with these guys. So it was fun. In your, in your mind, are you here to stay? Or, like, what, what, how do you think about this situation? Yeah, obviously, you know, that's the goal. But, you know, for me right now, it's just take one day at a time, you know, keep learning and, you know, go from there. But, uh, yeah, like I said, I'm a kid. I'm a happy-go-lucky kid, and I'm just here working hard and going, taking a day at a time. What's going through your mind when you're out there by yourself during warm-ups? Yeah, that was pretty cool. I didn't know like, <laughs> if I should skate fast and stuff. <laughs> but, no, obviously, you know, you dream of that when you're a kid. Um, you know, I didn't know what to think when I came in the locker room for the first time. I think I just blanked out for a little bit. But, no, it was, it was unbelievable. And, you know, great group of guys here, and I'm glad we won. Barry was saying even if Jordan, when Jordan is ready to come back, that if you play well, he's going to play the best players. I mean, how much does that motivate you? Yeah, forward? obviously it's motivating, but uh, you know, like I said before, I just got to take a day at a time, keep working hard, and you know, keep learning, keep learning from the pro life, keep learning from you know the veterans here. So yeah, it's very exciting, and just put my head down and keep working. This would have been a special day for you, regardless, obviously. But the way it ended, I guess, will that make it that much more memorable? Yeah, yeah I was getting nervous. I did not want to lose on my, <laughs> on my first. Uh, first game that wouldn't be fun so you know obviously getting the win was um, pretty much the biggest thing ever I think that was the most important thing for me is getting that win and listening to the tunes in here. What does it say about the faith Barry has in you to put you out there in a 2-1 game with a minute and a half left? Yeah you know it feels pretty good to you know get that confidence um, we almost had some chances there at the end so it's it really good it's fun. Do you think, it, even though it was obviously a short time, do you think the time you did have in Bridgeport just these couple of weeks kind of was a good thing for you instead of starting here, or did yeah, it help you? Yeah, I think uh, it was good. You know, we played a lot of games down there. We played like five games already, and, uh, you know, it's, it's been good down there. You know, you work out more, do a lot of stuff, but, uh, you know, I was eager to come up. I really wanted to come up and work hard, so, you know, it was a good, good first game. I'm really glad we won.
Was your family in town at all? Yeah, my dad made the trip up. He got like a 5 a.m. flight from uh, Georgia, so he's here. I'll see him after the game. So. so pretty special to know that he was going to be able to see you watch? Yeah, it was really special. Uh, he helped me choose out my tie today. You know, I got a little emotional, so I had to leave, get out of there before he... Uh, yeah, you know, teared up, but no, it's really special to have him here, and uh, you know, it was really fun. Sure, this before, but was this everything you dreamed of? Oh yeah, it was. You know, getting that call and driving up. Uh, I was driving pretty fast. Probably dangerous because I wanted to get up so get up here so quickly. But no, it was a uh, great first experience, and uh, I'm super, super happy that we won. That was awesome. Yeah, that's good stuff, Neil. Uh, thank you for that. And. Now, you, you've had an interesting weekend, so you had Oliver Wallstrom's uh, NHL debut today, and on Saturday, you, you filled in for our buddy Colin Stevenson at the, the Rangers game. You got to see Capo Caco's uh, first NHL goal and, and, and wrote about that. Can you kind of compare and contrast the two youngsters? Well, one is much better at speaking English, although, you know, Kako's English is much better than my Finnish, so I can't. I mean, I got to cut the kid a break. But his 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 first goal was was a gorgeous. I mean, they lost four to one, but it was a gorgeous goal. And he's another guy who you know you think might be around for ten fifty, could be around for ten fifteen years. The Devils have another one in Jack Hughes. The Islanders have Dobson waiting in the wings yeah. uh, to you know show what he can do. So you know, really, it's kind of an interesting time for New York area hockey that you have all these super talented teenagers. We don't know if they're all going to become stars, but you figure they all have a chance to become stars. So it's kind of a, you know, cool moment to just see where these guys go and whichever team you root for. Obviously, you're mostly focused on that guy, but really just to watch these guys. Because these teams play each other so often, you're going to see, whether you're rooting for him or not, you're going to see guys like Kako play for a long time, and it's... He's got a lot of talent, so it's yeah, it's fun to watch. I'm I'm now entered the stage of my career where I am covering players who are younger than my youngest child. So now we're we're into a real deep into my career here. So it's getting weirder and weirder. But <laughs> but but still, you got to appreciate their talent. Yeah, no, and and you know, Wallstrom and uh, Noah Dobson are the same age as my youngest daughter. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's. Uh, um, when, when, when I looked at Wallstrom's bio and it says, you know, June 13th, 2000, you know, any of these guys born in the 2000s, it's, it's you know, it's just a little weird. But all right, whatever. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's I, part I, of the process. Time marks. It's part of the process. As long as you have to trust the process. As long as you're young at heart and you still I'm, play softball, I mean. Uh, yeah, I do play softball. I don't know. Young at heart might not be the best description of me. But, yeah, I try. Yeah, I suppose I try. I mean, you know, <laughs> the hot chocolate moment. Decide. That's true. That's true. That's a good point. That's a, that's um, a fair point. But you know, Kako's goal was a great. You know, it was. It's one of those things where journalistically, I'm. I just. You know, the team. I'm. I'm the home team. The, the that I'm covering just lost four to one. But I, I talked to our editor. I'm like, you know, it's October twelfth, and this. You know, th this game. The result of this game might not have any historical importance of any kind, like a week from now. Mm -hmm. But you know, Kako's first goal, just like Wallstrom's uh, debut you know, could have a longer term. That's why before the Islanders had that great comeback, we had been talking during the third period, and even if they had lost 2 nothing, I was going to write about Wallstrom because that has, you know, long-term yeah. implications beyond a loss on October 14th. Yeah, now Hughes and, and Kako obviously go 1-2 in this year's draft. I, I think it's a really good sign for the Islanders organization that you have Wallstrom, the 11th overall pick in 2018, and, and Noah Dobson, the, the 12th overall pick, 
in 2018, both on the roster now. Now, I've mentioned this in the first two episodes. Dobson is a little bit different because he is not AHL eligible. Mm -hmm. So it was really only the Islanders are going back to his junior team. As I've mentioned, the Islanders really do not believe his development is served at all being back in junior hockey this year. And Noah Dobson... You know, he's he's going to flip-flop in and out of the lineup. Uh, he's not going to play all 82 games, obviously. Um, he's been a healthy scratch the last two games, and uh, that was, uh, you know, to get Johnny Boychuk back into the lineup. And as we saw today, you know, and as Barry Trott said after the game, you know, well, boy, you know, sometimes Johnny Boychuk isn't easy on the eyes, but and, <laughs> and what he does doesn't show up in the score sheet. But, you know, the Islanders also, you talk about how good Barzell and how good Wallstrom were today. You know, they, I, I think Boychuk was probably their best defenseman during the game. I mean, he was just, you know, he skates off the ice, he gets a puck in his boot, and you think he's not coming back. He's not back on, this, uh, on the next shift. He races into position on uh, Matthew Barzell's equalizer to get his boot on the uh, on the puck and keep it on the right side of the blue line. Johnny Boychuk, you know, just had a good game, but. As you know, the Islanders have seven healthy defensemen, and and Barry Trotz is going to play all of them. So you you have not seen Noah Dobson live yet. Not in person, no. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I've seen a couple of games of his. He's, um, you know, defense is is a little different breaking into the NHL at 19 than than forward is. Uh, you know, it, it just the, you, you hear from everyone that the defensemen. It takes him a little bit longer to to mature as an NHL player. So Barry Trotz, you know, uh, he liked some of what he saw from Noah Dobson. He was a little concerned by what he saw at times, you know, maybe not as steady with the puck as he needed to be. I mean, the overall overall picture at 19, I, I thought he acquitted himself pretty good. But, you know, Barry Trotz, he's, he, they need the points here, especially when they're at one and three. So you get the veteran Johnny Boychuk back into the, uh, into the lineup. But I, I did catch up to Noah Dobson uh, before the game in Carolina in the dressing room and spent a few minutes chatting with him about being a, a 19-year-old teenager in the NHL and some of the adjustments he's making and uh, – also talked a little bit about his family. He's not the only really good athlete in his family. So uh, here's Noah Dobson from the Carolina dressing room from a few days ago. I'm here with Noah Dobson, who uh, made his NHL debut with an assist. And, and Noah, just, you know, after that training camp, what were the emotions and how does it feel to, you know, get into the lineup and play in the NHL? Yeah, no, it was obviously a dream come true to play my first NHL game. It's something you uh, work towards all your life, and you've sacrificed so much, and it was a really cool special day and special game for me and my family and everyone who's helped me get to where I am today. So it's uh, it's an I'm going to remember the rest of my life for sure. How is it? I mean, you're you're a 19-year-old, you know, you're, you're, you're playing a man's game here. Do, do you... You know, how do you feel? Do you feel like a 19-year-old? Do you feel like a man at this point? You know, where where, where do you go on that? Yeah, I think uh, with the, the the work you put in the summer kind of prepares you to be able to handle the, the man's game. I feel like from my first training camp to this training camp, I made great gains, and I was able to, to put on some muscle and add some weight, and I feel a lot, a lot stronger and better about uh, where I am at as a body. So I feel like uh, 
every game and continue to grow and get better, but I definitely feel like I belong here. But I think at the same time, you, you don't want to wish away and wish you're an older guy. You want to just live the moment. I mean, it's a it's a pretty good lifestyle to be living as a 19-year-old, and I'm just soaking it all in and enjoying every day. What is the biggest difference that, that you see? I mean, a lot of these guys go home to their wives and kids. I mean, <laughs> that's certainly not something you're doing at this point. Yeah, no, it's kind of funny just to sit around sit, sit around the locker room and uh, you hear guys talking about what they did with their kids or what they did with their wives and stuff, and I'm just kind of just kind of the, the bird on the wall just taking it all and listening. But uh, it's uh, it's different for sure, but we have a couple young guys like Barzi and I know Ross Johnson very well being from PI, so it's uh, there's definitely a different crew, the wife crew and the kid crew, and then the younger guys who, who are single and just uh, enjoying it, so... You just kind of just get to know everyone. It's a great group of guys in the locker room, so they've been really good to her. You brought up PEI. Just how can you put into words how big a difference it is living in Prince Edward Island, growing up there, and now playing in you know playing in New York? Yeah, no, it's obviously it's huge, but I mean, uh, I think it's good uh, in the summer times to get away from the, the big city and you get back to your small small town, your roots. But it's also it's a great experience for me living in, in New York and just a different lifestyle thing and really helps me grow as a person and mature and you get to see different cultures and all that kind of stuff so it's really cool I mean so uh, you get to play play what you do what you love and you get to travel around North America as well and see different cities that I've never been to before so just trying to enjoy it all and take it all in. Was it always hockey for you I mean how how young were you when you started and what really sparked your, your, your love affair with the sport? Yeah, I think I started from a real young age, around five or five or six. I think I'd say I started skating. I think just uh, what really brought me in is all the really good friendships that you're able to make growing through the ranks, going through minor hockey. I mean, those guys I played with all through my years in minor hockey are still one of my best buddies today that I'm on the golf course with all summer and stuff like that. So. I think just the, the friendships and then obviously just fall in love with the sport and I'm, I'm a competitor I love to compete and it's one of the best sports in the world to to compete against different guys within the locker room on the other team and obviously just uh, something you fell in love with and just enjoy doing every day. So natural athlete, hockey, uh, I know you said you played soccer a little bit but uh, you're, you're, it sounds like your family is just a bunch of nat- natural athletes, right? Yeah, no, I think uh, I've played lots of sports growing up. I think it's really important for kids these days to make sure they're playing all kind, kinds of sports. I mean, I, I played school soccer, I played flag football, I golf and all that stuff. And I know my dad through high school played baseball, soccer. He was a goalie for high school hockey. So, And then now my sister's a soccer player year-round. So I think uh, we have a pretty active family, really sporty family. And I think it, it keeps my parents busy, whether they're watching my hockey games or they're driving my sister around a soccer field so it's uh, it's great you meet so many great friendships through the the sports and i think we uh, something we really take pride in i think you're kind of soft selling how good your your sister actually is um do, did you you know because of your travel and you know playing in juniors how much of you know your sister's career have you been able to see and how much of your uh, yours has she been able to see and just tell us a little bit about where she is and, and her future plans yeah, no, she's obviously uh she's very she's a very talented soccer player on the ice. She plays year round and I think it's uh unfortunate the way the schedules work out. I I don't really get to see many of her games. She doesn't really get to see many of mine, but I think uh we we've had a great relationship all her life. I think uh 
she's she's my only blood so i think we, we stay in touch all the time and she's always supporting me and i'm trying to support her but uh she's she's in high school now and she's playing soccer so i think she'll definitely try and be a play soccer at the university level in canada sometimes so she's a great athlete as well and we try and support each other through our careers through this point already anything surprising that maybe you didn't expect or is this kind of how you felt not not saying that you know you knew you would make the team and you'd be right here but just in terms of the lifestyle anything really surprising to you at this point oh no i think you just realize how 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 good of a lifestyle it is it's 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 the best job in the world it's uh you're playing what you you're doing what you love for a living as a as a job so it's a i really can't complain i mean i'm just trying to take it one day at a time and enjoy all these experiences whether it's uh, the flights with the guys or traveling different cities and different games different ranks so i'm just trying to soak it all in and enjoy it all right no i really appreciate the time best of luck thank you you know, we were talking about something, you know, before that last interview we listened to uh, about Boychek getting hit in the foot with a puck and then, you know, <laughs> limping to the bench and then not missing a shift. But that was the even more dramatic hockey player moment in Monday's game was Matthew Barzell. He got hit in the back of the leg, back of the knee. Yeah, an, and, an uncalled slash, by the way. Yes, but yeah. but I thought the guy was out for the year. I mean, he was in excruciating <laughs> That's pain. That's not funny. He could, yeah. No, he could yeah. barely get to the bench. I'm like, you know, this is their best player, basically. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is, this is a, you know, I'm thinking journalistically, this is a huge story. This guy's out for the year. And then doesn't miss the shift, comes out, scores the tying goal, sets up the winning goal. Because it's hockey, yeah. and no matter how half dead you look, you're not going to miss a shift. You just come out and you win the game basically for your team. You know, one thing we like to do here at Island Ice, Neil, is uh, we like to look ahead. Okay, and there's no those there's no more looking ahead for the Islanders than looking ahead to uh, getting to Belmont for the 2021-22 season, I believe. That's the goal. Yeah. Right. Um, no, they, they've they've had all you know they've had the groundbreaking over at Belmont, and, and this this weekend was alumni weekend, so they brought some of the alumni over for an event at Belmont. I don't know whether you've driven past, whether you've seen anything in the ground over there yet, or uh, I have been to Belmont Park in my career, but not since they started digging it up. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Barry Trotz uh, talked about this in the interview in the first episode, but. I mentioned, you know, the Islanders were looking for scoring in the offseason. They were desperately trying to bring in Artemi Panarin before he took less money from the Rangers. But really, one of the things that Belmont can do is it's something they can sell to free agents. And, you know, Lou, Lou Lamarillo re-signed his free agents, and he brought in the goalie, Semyon Varlamov. 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 Um... But, you know, like I said, Artemi Panarin was not coming here. And Barry Trotz said, you know, he's heard from free agents that some of them, a lot of them, did not want to do the two-arena thing. So, you know, as a columnist, we're, we're on, this, on the Mount Rushmore of things. Where, <laughs> where is this in Islanders' history to get this Belmont arena? 
Well, I mean, obviously, it's it's I mean, it's huge. It's I mean, the Mount Rushmore was going to be the move to Brooklyn, and now there's like a asterisk to the first <laughs> thing on the Mount Rushmore. It's like, Look, oops. <laughs> in, in in a perfectly rational world, yeah, which we do not live in, there should not be another arena in the area because there are so many arenas in the area. Mm -hmm. uh, however, from the Islanders' perspective, and given all of the history and all of the practice, just everything that I, I you know which we could obviously talk about for hours here yeah it's great and it's necessary and it's gonna it, it should change the franchise now you know the, whether they become the rangers in terms of the broadness of the fan base that probably will not happen much like we see with the nets and the knicks even though the nets now will be one of the most talked about franchises in the league and and the, uh, and the devils have a beautiful arena in newark and, and three stanley cups and and, so, and and they may be behind the islanders right no i think that's probably fair so but but that's fine the islanders can be a, a successful happy you know franchise with lots of fans and, and and win cups and it's all great and so yes yes they needed the arena. It's huge. It's going to be a, a great thing for them and for the fans because it's, you know, sort of a compromise solution, obviously, between schlepping to Brooklyn and being in the middle of Nassau County. Um, however, you know, all I would say is, you know, in a non-sports perspective, as sort of just a citizen of the area, there's a lot of arenas. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but what, what are you going to do? That's, yeah. it's, it's just the way it evolved. Yeah. yeah. You know, the one thing, and, you know, I, I haven't talked to anyone with the Islanders about this, but every time I see a story or, you know, uh, facts about the new arena, the the, 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 uh, the, the, the proposed capacity of 19,000 always kind of sticks out to me. because that's, that's, that's a lot. It's a lot. You know, the, the Islanders, you know, they, they got, what, 13.9 capacity at, the Coliseum, I think they've filled that once so far this season. They, they, they got 14,000 over at Brooklyn, and, you know, there are varying components as to why that's not being filled. But they, they can't get a sellout in Brooklyn unless the Rangers come in most of the time. How do you think nineteen thousand is gonna is gonna work at Belmont? Well, I, well, I think nineteen thousand is a challenge. Now, you don't need to, you know, if you have an arena that large, you do not need to fill every seat for every game, economically or to have a good atmosphere. I mean, if you have seventeen thousand people under some seats and the rafters are empty, you could still have a great home ice advantage. So that's yeah. not an issue, I suppose. You know, I don't know the economics of how those extra few thousand seats, cost, you know, extra air conditioning costs or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as long as you get a big crowd, it doesn't have to be every seat. Well, I imagine it's uh, like the reason why playoff games have to be in Brooklyn right. yeah. is because of the suites, right? If they can sell the suites... There's a profit level. Yeah, there. although in mo yeah, in, in modern stadiums, it's not even so much about suites as it is concourses. It's like you know, yes, the suites are right. much more at Barclays than at Nassau Coliseum, but also those modern arenas yeah. with the big concourses and the retail spaces, true, true, absolutely, all the ways to get you out of your seat. Um, you know, that just doesn't obviously doesn't exist at the Coliseum. Uh, right. So well, they did widen the concourses, but no, they, I, it's but, just not. It's a nice no. place to watch a hockey game. But it's not a modern arena. So for better or worse, it's not a modern yeah, arena. Dude. I remember what really drove home for me the modern arena thing was when they were building whatever the Wachovia Wells Fargo Center is called in Philly now. I can't even keep track. But when they were building the new arena yeah. and the Spectrum was still next to it yeah. and the seating capacities were fairly similar 
and the spectrum <laughs> was this tiny yeah. little place compared to this massive place with yeah. and that's that's what it is the spectrum national coliseum yeah they're they're just like they're a place to watch a hockey game that happens to have a couple of hot dog stands yeah that's not the way modern arenas work yeah and they, and therefore they be, they have become massive yeah. even though the seating the seating might be similar so speaking of belmont uh, like i said they had the uh uh, the alumni out there on Saturday, we had our, uh, our, our other teammate, Laura Albanese, as uh, Islander Ice is just getting, you know, contributions from all over our, our staff this week. Um, Laura Albanese caught up with uh, Hall of Famer Dennis Potfan out at uh, Belmont, and, and he was talking a little bit about what the impact of that new arena would have on the franchise my first horse race so i've been to belmont before and going back to seattle slough you know so uh that was in the uh, you know the 70s when things were rocking for us i would never have imagined that you know here we are today and uh, as i mentioned you know when we think about you know our successes it was all about teamwork and i am so impressed with the teamwork that has come together here to bring us the planning and the effort and the time and the fact that they're going to deliver on their promises, to me, I, I'm just blown away by it. The facility, like the state-of-the-art facility, yeah. do for team, do for players, and do for free agents who might want to see something. That's very important now. I mean, there's no question that free agents, you know, they, they become available only to teams that they want to go to. And I think even in trade clauses now, you get a lot of no-movement clauses. Some players will even, you know, let go of the movement clause, no-movement clause to go to a certain city. I know for a fact it was not as much movement when we played in the 70s and the 80s, but I knew a lot of people around the league and guys would say, can I get traded to the Islanders? I think that day is back. Um, I know you recently retired. Do you yeah. feel like you're going to be more involved in the Islanders alumni events? You know what? Uh, we have been involved to the point where John Ledecky, Scott Malkin, uh, the uh, co-owners, have reached out and have asked us to take parts in events like this, and not one of us has said no whenever we've been able to come. So I expect that, yes, I mean, I, you know, listen, I, I've been away a long time, but, you know, the, the roots will never be, you know, be forgotten, and I'm glad to be here today. Neil, while I have you in the studio here, I, I would be remiss not to ask you about this uh, story you reported. Um, the Islanders are getting their games, their radio broadcast this season on ESPN 1050 AM. You know, just what what a jump and what an impact do you think that will have? Well, and and, and six to seven of them are going to be on the FM outlet of, the, of ESPN Radio 98.7. So yeah, it's a great. Plus, they are still retaining their existing, you know, their Hofstra station and their Suffolk outlet. So. Yeah, it's a great thing for them. Look, ha having the occasional game on FAN was a good thing for them, especially the playoffs. But this will give them a consistent, I think it's going to be about 60 of their 82 games are going to be on one ESPN outlet or the other. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, the Islanders have obviously had sort of a vagabond existence in the radio world over the decades. Um, and, you know, hockey on the radio is not a big business, though it is like the, the Yankees and Mets get a lot of money for it. Um, but, yeah, for fans to know that you have now three options, three stations that have different uh, coverage areas, 
is, is it's all good. Yeah, it's all good. And ESPN is trying to turn that, uh, make something new of that 10:50 a.m. signal, which was ESPN Deportes, and now it's English language. And we don't know what else they're going to do with it. But this is a big first step for them to have some quality content on this n- basically new station, or at least new to English language. So, uh, well, it used well, it used to be English, then it went to Spanish, now yeah. it's English. All right. Anyway, it's all good. You can hear uh, Kinger and Picker and yeah. yeah. Kinger, picker, anything that it's ends with an er. Yeah, well, in hockey, well, you know, in hockey, it yeah. has to be an er or an Leasy e. You and, have to be yeah. an e or an er, one or the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like hey, John Giannone calls me bester, but instead of bestie. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> and, and, and Anders Lee will will call me grosser. We, 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 <laughs> that one, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, grossy, you know, grossy or grosser, no grosser. I, I mean, someone will call me grossest at some right. point, okay. but yeah. <laughs> Um, so as we have for the first two episodes, uh, I'm going to conclude this podcast, this episode, uh, taking a few questions, questions from the Twitter feed, Neil, feel free to chime in if you have anything. And if you don't, you know, enjoy the hot chocolate. And, um, so, uh, let's see, uh, we go to John and now I believe this question came before uh, Monday's game against the Blues, but he says, why do they seem to be struggling with their defensive structure if they have so much roster continuity? Almost every period has been filled with opposing high-danger chances. To a, to a certain extent, I, I do agree, there have been more odd man rushes uh, through the first six games than I, I think we saw on a consistent basis last season. Um the only answer I can give you there, and, and it is a good point, and it, it, it speaks to Neil's point you know, early, from earlier in the episode as to do, does bringing back the same roster, is that tilt towards the stagnant and stale, or does it tilt towards the chemistry? I, 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 as I mentioned, you know, swinging back between positive and negative, I think in the long run it will tilt towards the chemistry, but, yeah, no, I, I think you make a valid point that they did kind of struggle out of the gate with their defensive structure, and it was surprising. And you know what? Maybe it was, I don't want to say complacency, or I am saying complacency. Uh, you know, they just, maybe they thought it would just come back to them as it did last season, and, and it hasn't because this Islanders team, after getting to the second round of the playoffs, is not taking anybody by surprise. Um, let's see. Bigaloid asks, where do you think Josh Hosang lands and does anyone care anymore? I, I obviously. <laughs> wow. That yeah. Yeah. Key, key. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, key element in there. You know what? Obviously people still care because <laughs> he probably is a bigger topic of discussion on Twitter than anything else. Um, and, and in the background, uh, Josh Hosang, did not make the team out of training camp, was uh, reassigned to Bridgeport. His representation asked for a trade. Lou Lamorello said he would try and grant that and find another NHL team who wanted to trade for him. But in the meantime, Lamorello requested that Hosang not report to Bridgeport because he didn't want Hosang being a distraction there. And you know what? I, I think it came back to bite josh in the butt because i i i still think wallstrom would have been the first call up because he was playing good at bridgeport but uh, you know what 
who knows if if Josh Hosang had gone down and had like you know three goals in the first four games, maybe he's the first call up. As far as where where he lands, uh, you know what? It, it's I think it's pretty obvious. Lou Lamarillo has had trouble trading Josh Hosang. Is still having trouble trading Hosang. He's on a one year deal here. Um, maybe they agree to you know, disagree in part ways and Josh Hosang lands in Europe this season or, or next season or, you know, that that would be my guess at this point. Well, my question to you related to the second part of that question is, you know, just as someone who's not there every day, uh, isn't it time for the team and the player and Islanders fans to just move on because this saga is amazing to me for a guy who presumably is a marginal NHL talent or else he would be here you know so like what why doesn't everyone just move on well it's he's I think the point is he's a marginal NHL defensive talent and you get mesmerized by his skating and his stick handling which can be Barzell like at times but he does not have the complete package and thus coaches can't trust and also because he's been a story since day one of his first training camp when Garth Snow sent him home because he overslept and then he comes out and he says some things that that draw your attention and he's he's just one of those guys who's a lightning rod yeah no I've so I've gathered by, by reading Twitter and coverage in newspapers over seems like the last 20 years with this guy but okay yeah uh, McGrath FC asks if Wallstrom has an incredible game. I wouldn't say it was an incredible game. I, I thought it was a very representative good start. And the Isles decide they just have to keep him up. Who gets sent down? Well, um, that that is a very good question. Usually, I mean, right now injuries are taking care of that because you do have, uh, uh, you know, Casey Sezikis on the IR. Uh, just trying to go through... You know, Ross Johnson is playing right now, and Matty Martin is is on the uh, on the healthy scratch list. Uh, who gets sent down? You know, that is a great question. I, you know, Michael Dalcal has has played better the last couple of games too. And before the last couple of games, I might have given you Michael Dalcal might have needed a, a few games in Bridgeport. I, I think this is something they're going to just let play out right now because injuries are all always a part of it. Um, but Wallstrom is going to make it very difficult on them to, to send him down. If he keeps playing like this, uh, the, the issue is he does not have to pass through waivers and that, you know, sometimes business trumps everything else. Um, Scott asks, why is Martin scratched again? Do you think Ross, Ross Johnson, has more of an upside? Does Barry want to use him more in front of the net? You know, Ross, for a big guy, does have some pretty soft hands, and he, and he can create a little bit more, maybe a little bit more than Matty Martin uh, in the offensive zone. But Barry Trotz was talking after today's game about every time he scratches Matt Martin, it is a very difficult decision, just as every time he scratched Johnny Boychuk, it's a difficult decision. Ross has done... Nothing to come out of the lineup in the couple of games he's been in. And you know what? Until Casey Sezikis comes back, uh, you know, if that's the case, you know, you want to have that identity fourth line of Matt Martin, Casey Sezikis, Cal Clutterbuck going. But with Casey Sezikis 
not in, Martin sort of loses some of his effectiveness. This Matt Martin situation is very interesting to me because, I mean, he's a fan favorite. He's a me favorite. <laughs> like, I just love talking to the guy. I yeah. like watching him play. Obviously, his skill level is not like a Matthew Barzell. That's not yeah. what he brings. Yeah. He brings other things. But, you know, as a coach, uh, obviously Trotz has shown he's willing to bench him. Uh, I mean, so what, what do you do for the next eight, you know, 70-whatever games? It's a... It's, uh, I don't know. He's a tough. He's a tough one if you're if you're Barry Trotz because like like he said did it like he said himself b- benching him hurts. Yeah, just like it kind of does for fans. Or well, well I think you got to take a, a bigger picture. Just because he's benched for one or two games no, does not mean. No, he, I understand. Yeah, but, it's not going to be a Toronto Maple Leaf situation where he just right. you know was not in the rotation. But it's at obviously. All. It's obviously something he's willing to do. Yes. So therefore, he will do it period, at least periodically, I would think. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I want him. I want him playing so I can interview him after the game. <laughs> Uncle T Dog <laughs> says uh, it's well. It's a question. Anna says he says please get Eric Bolton on the show as a guest. What is he up to these days? Well, it, the one will answer the other. Uh, yeah. We, I mean, we all like Eric Bolton. You know, uh, fan favorite Islander. He's a he's still a team scout, but you know, um, Lou Lamarillo's rules are Lou talks about the team, Barry Trotz talks about the team, the assistant coaches don't talk about the team, the scouts don't talk about the team. So as long as Eric Bolton is an Islander scout, he probably will not be given up as a guest for this show. But why doesn't he let the assistant coaches and the scouts talk about themselves, like for a feature or something, not about the team? I'll get Lou Lamarillo <laughs> in it. Right, I'll ask. I can ask Lou myself. I guess. Ask him why. Uh, I'll ask Lou. Yeah. Um. It doesn't. I mean, whatever. It's uh, Lou being Lou. Well, yeah. I mean, it's worked for him. It's he's won three cups. <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> no Ein, no Ein, I believe it says. Are they happy with Dal Cole's play? Seems to me like he brings nothing. That's a little harsh. If they are what they, if they are what do they like, and if not, how long of a leash does he get? Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Um, yeah, no, Dal Cole. They they've liked his play better the last couple of games. He's uh, as Barry Trot said, uh, he's moving his feet more and getting involved in the play more and not watching the play more. I I don't think he's brought nothing. Um, I, I, he can be a scrappy player, and he's 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 made himself an option in the offensive zone uh, the last couple of games offensively when when the Islanders have been attacking. I, Ian Katerina says, "Why isn't Dobson playing more?" We've touched on that with uh, uh, with uh, Johnny Boychuk. Jacob Rudman says, "Andrew, what do you think of the likelihood is of another lockout after the current CBA expires? We're talking 2023." With both the NHL and NHLPA, you know, opting into the final years of the CBA or opting not to opt out is the proper way. Certainly, revenue sharing, player escrow, and AHL eligibility loopholes will be discussed. What other major topics might there be for both sides? Thanks. Hashtag Island Ice. Thank you for that. Um, the likelihood, well, if you go <laughs> by by the uh, the history in Gary Bettman's tenure, the, the likelihood is pretty good that uh, we get another work stoppage. However, you know, both sides seem to be playing a little bit nicer with each other. Uh, you've touched upon the the 
the issues here, but the other really big one, and it's going to come up as a big issue going into 2022, is uh, Olympic participation. And I, I think that's another huge thing that the players are going to fight for. Um, Clash City, but if you're asking me right now if there is going to be a lockout, you know what, I, I hate to say it, but I, I think it's what everyone in the game expects, and, you know, hopefully we're all pleasantly surprised in 2023. Clash City Rocker, great, great, great song. Um, chances now of a trade for a scoring winger. Um, you might have gotten one in Oliver Wallstrom, so uh, uh, let, let's put a cork in that one. Old School Mountie says... Uh, Lamarillo gives you permission to make one trade to help the top six. Who comes to Long Island and who goes? Make your fair hockey trade. Connor McDavid for, <laughs> yeah. uh, let's see, let me look at the list here. Yeah. Who did I send for Connor McDavid? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, you know what? Uh, <laughs> this, I, I like LVP's response to that of maybe looking at Mike Hoffman. I, I think oh. that would be a good route. Oh, the you're senators. saying Connor McDavid's no, not realistic? Yeah, but oh, I, I think... Uh, I'd really love to see I, him here. Yeah, I think <laughs> the Islanders would have to give up more than Hosang in a conditional two. How about you trade the Coliseum and the Barclays Center <laughs> for McDavid and then move into the new arena? And that's all I've got for episode three of Island Ice. I want to thank Neil Best for braving the traffic with me and driving in and recording this. It's great seeing him. And I am going to go get a hot chocolate, everybody, and we'll talk to you <laughs> next week.